everyone, and welcome to Better Done Than Perfect, the podcast for SaaS founders and product people. Today, our awesome guest is Kieran Tai, founder of Chetty, the famous editorial service that's been started lately, and also content person who's been out there for ages. We're going to talk about editing content today. This show is brought to you by Userlist, the best tool for sending onboarding emails and segmenting your SaaS users. To follow the best practices, download our free printable email planning worksheets at userlist.com worksheets. Hi, Karen. Hi, Jane. We're so excited to have you here and discuss this under valued and underappreciated angle of work <laughs> you know absolutely i'm so excited to to be here and kind of share a little bit more about uh, about what we do before we dive into the subject could you tell us a bit more about your um, background story and uh, where you come from and what you did before founding an editorial service yeah, absolutely. So I've I've had quite a varied background. I guess you could say I actually started out as an embedded software developer probably 15 years ago now working on telematics devices for agricultural and construction equipment. So it's it's Whoa, been a bit of seriously? a bit of a change since then. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I started out in in software, eventually progressed into uh, software management. I was running a, a a software team for the company that I was working for, um, and then moved into uh, product management from there for a a cloud services company here in Denver, where I'm based. Um, that was in 2015 or 2014, I believe. And then in 2016, I actually uh, struggled with burnout a ton and ended up quitting my job in uh, in the middle of 2016 with uh, the goal of uh, building my own business and, and going independent. Um, it took me uh, at least kind of six months after quitting my job to, to feel back to normal after that. Um, but during that time, I uh, started writing uh started writing a newsletter, uh, started kind of sharing more of my journey online and, and wrote a post about my story with burnout um, that uh, really resonated online. It ended up reaching number two or number one on Hacker News, I think, um, and got quite a, a lot of traffic and, and still ranks quite well for uh, a lot of burnout-related topics with that. Um, and that it was kind of what accidentally ended up with uh, with me in the content marketing space and, and realizing that uh, I could make uh, a living and make a business out of uh, out of writing. And so since then, I've uh, been a, a freelance writer working with SaaS companies, uh, mostly in the the product management space, since that's where my uh, my experience was. Um, about uh, two years ago, I kind of fell into editing as well, uh, working with writers for some of the clients uh, that I was writing for and realizing that I really enjoyed uh, editing and helping writers kind of craft their stories even more than I loved uh, doing the writing myself. And started working with more and more clients that were uh, struggling to put, dedicate enough time to managing quality, to uh, really putting the time into the, the quality of the contents and the, the editorial that they were producing. Um, and so kind of from there, an opportunity to uh, launch an editorial service that uh, took a lot of that work off their plate and really helped them kind of produce their best stories and their best work uh, with the team of writers and the processes that they already had in place. And so Chatty, we launched about three months ago and everything's just kind of taken off from there. It's been a, a long and winding journey, but I'm, I'm really excited to, to see where things end up in the, the next five years. 
I'm curious how your background as a writer has influenced your positioning and uh, your approach to editing and providing the service. Yeah, absolutely. It's kind of interesting, actually. I Growing up, I never saw myself as a writer. I was much more on the, the engineering, mathematics, science side. And I think when I went through burnout in 2016, one of the things that I struggled a lot with was kind of that self-image of what am I good at? What do I want to be building a business around? And I, I would never have expected writing and, and editing to be something that would end up being uh, what I would enjoy. Um, and so my approach to, to writing has really been uh, guided by the uh, my background in in the topics that I'm writing for, uh, my background in the different types of businesses that I've worked with and the, the different groups of people that I've worked with. It's very much been kind of trial and error working out uh, what good writing looks like. And, and I've been really lucky that uh, I've been able to end up in the, the position that I'm in without uh, any kind of formal journalism experience or, or formal editing training or, or anything like that. Could you walk us through, let's, yeah, let's start diving into uh, actual editing. What yeah. different types of editing exist? And uh, let's start from the basic proofreading and up and up towards the most, you know, substantial. I'm, start, I'm struggling to find the words, but now you're going to help me. <laughs> sure, uh, yeah. different, different levels of editing there can be. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm actually going to take the opposite direction and, and start from the uh, from the top down. And I, I think a lot of people don't realize that uh, great editing really begins before the piece is even written with, with coming up with ideas, kind of clarifying uh, your ideas, clarifying the arguments that you want to make. Um, a lot of advice that you'll see out there for editing is uh, about writing outlines or writing uh, messy first drafts or get, really getting your ideas in order before you even start. And one thing I've found with the, the writers that I've worked with is the more time that they put into understanding what they're trying to communicate and why that matters to the reader and, and why the reader should care about that before they even begin the writing process, the, the easier the writing process becomes. And, and the, the number one piece of advice I give to writers is start with just a single sentence, like a single thesis statement or argument that centers the, the entire story. And then from there, you can work to create your outline and, and start building the structure, editing the structure to make sure that the, uh, the arguments make sense. A lot of people call that developmental or, or uh, I think it's developmental editing to ensure that the structure makes sense, that the arguments that you're making are in the correct order, that they all support the, uh, the core thesis statement. And then you can uh, begin editing for kind of style and substance. Uh, so making sure that your introduction is compelling and hooks the reader into continuing to read the piece, making sure that your conclusion comes loops back to the introduction and uh, kind of builds on that and, and introduces the, the bigger picture for the, the piece that you're writing. And then once that's all sorted, you can finally get into the, the actual nitty gritty of the editing, which a lot of people consider to be uh, what editing is, which is uh, line editing, uh, copy editing, and proofreading. So making sure that you're choosing the, the most appropriate words for the reader, uh, making sure that uh, the sentences are structured correctly, making sure that there's no spelling mistakes, anything like that. And, and honestly, that to me is the, the smallest part of editing is really putting the polishing on the, the piece at the, the very end. So yeah, there's there's kind of those three different tiers of editing, which are the story level or or the developmental edit 
level, uh, making sure that the, the, the guts of the piece are in order, I guess. And then line editing and structural editing, making sure that the, the piece makes sense on a logical level and, and supports the argument. And then at the very bottom level, you've got line and copy editing and proofreading. How many people do these need to be? How many people in terms of how many different editors? Yeah, like, do you think this can all be done by one person or is it typically somebody working with the author on the developmental level? And then, you know, another type of person with a different attention to detail would be the proofreader, for example. Yeah, that's uh, that's usually best. Oftentimes, the skills to edit kind of the structure or the story behind a piece are very different to the skills needed to copy edit or, or proofread a piece. And so most commonly, you'll see a dedicated like content editor or developmental editor uh, for a book, exam- for example. Um, they'll have a separate developmental editor and then also a, a separate copy editor that goes through and kind of dots all the I's and crosses all the, the T's at the end to make sure that the the piece is kind of as, as polished as it can be. That said, there are opportunities to have one person cover all of those different tasks. I've seen a lot of tools actually being launched, software tools being launched in the copy editing and proofreading space around kind of improving the the process of copy editing and, and proofreading without needing a writer. Um, Grammarly is one of the big ones. Um, there's another one called writer.com that, uh, that we use at Chatty that's been really uh, fantastic. So it, it is possible to do it with one person. It's just very difficult to find an editor that has the the skills and expertise to be able to handle all that in uh, in one go you are building or you have built you're in the process of building <laughs> a copy editing service how do you approach to that uh, how do you look for people who make the best editors and uh, how you organize working with them yeah so at the moment where uh, to give you kind of a bit of background on on how we work with editors at chatty we've we've been working with freelance editors uh, we've had a, a few different places that we've been sourcing those editors from, be it job ads with uh, content marketing uh, communities or uh, job ads with journalism communities. And we've had about an even mix of editors that have come to us either from the the marketing space or or from the journalism space. Once somebody applies, we usually ask them a, a bunch of questions around uh, the the types of uh, publications that they've worked with, the types of projects that they've worked on, uh, their skills, their kind of self-assessed uh, strengths and weaknesses in in editing, so that we can understand whether they're better at kind of structural editing versus proofreading, for example, and the types of clients that they've worked with in the past and and they would like to work with in the uh, in the future. And from there, uh, we're working on rolling out a standardized kind of editing test where we have a, an article that we give the same article to each editor that we work with and ask them to, to leave feedback on that document uh, through kind of track changes in, in Google Docs. Uh, and from there, we can assess kind of uh, how strong are they in the different areas of editing, so structural versus developmental versus uh proofreading and copy editing, for example, um, and and where their skills kind of lie best with that. Um, and because we're working with a, a team of freelancers, we can then kind of make sure that our team covers all of our bases in terms of the, the different types of editing. So if we have a client that applies that is struggling a bit more with the the structure of a piece or struggling a bit more to, to narrow down their ideas and really communicate what they're wanting to uh, to share with their readers, we can pair them up with an editor that, that has strengths in, in that particular uh, area and can really help them uh, produce the kind of content that they uh, that they need to. 
how does an external editor typically bill for per hour for for a thousand words or do you use any other method <laughs> i've i've talked to a lot of editors and all of them seem to bill in a slightly different way i've i've seen a fairly uh, even mix of per hour uh, a flat rate per piece or uh, a rate per word um, and there's advantages and disadvantages uh, both ways um, a lot of the editors that i've uh, spoken to uh, tend not to prefer billing per hour just because that penalizes them for working faster or editing faster um, a lot of them tend to prefer kind of a flat per project rate so like a, a fixed fit, uh, price per article or per email whatever the type of content is that they're editing um, that's also the the preferred method in the the book editing space as well since books tend to be a lot longer it's it's easier to Uh, quote uh, a flat rate for editing a book up front um, and a lot of them also uh, quote uh, per word rate or uh, what we've been doing with chatty recently is quoting a, a per 100 word block rate just to make the, the math a little bit easier for uh, for editors on the back end um, that gives us flexibility to account for uh different rates on different types of content, uh, whether uh, like a 500-word newsletter is going to be a lot uh, easier to edit than a 5,000-word ebook, for example, um, and also gives the, us the flexibility to uh, work with editors based on their experience level and, and make sure that we're paying them a fair rate for the, the level of experience that they're bringing to the table as well. So the, the listener of our show is um, a SaaS company. Mm -hmm. SaaS founder, product manager, and we do work with a lot of content these days. It's not necessarily a book or anything state of the art. However, we, we all do have our own little publishing processes in place. And what are the options for a mere mortal to, to get editing? So, of course, one of them is to hire a professional editor or work with your service, but <laughs> it's not <laughs> always possible. I'm glad that you touched upon um, automated options such as Grammarly or writer.com. Uh, one other option we're using is, um, is, a, is peer review. So mm -hmm. uh, some, you can give it to your team members. You can have a dedicated team member who's not an editor per se, but who is doing the editing. For example, at UserList, we have Krista and uh, they're a content manager, but they also do the editing part. Um, mm -hmm. What are other options and shortcuts uh, you can do to save time or money or anything that will give you better editing than you would do yourself? Yeah, absolutely. And, and of course, self-editing is, is the place where most people start. Um, I think the biggest struggle I hear from people with uh, editing their own work is it's very difficult to separate your mindset from Uh, writer and editor and I think writer uh, when you're writing you're more focused on uh, your ideas and the ideas that you're trying to communicate whereas editing you really have to kind of step into the the mind of the reader and understand like what uh, what's their level of knowledge what's their uh, understanding of the topic uh, where do they need more context where do they need uh, more explanation uh, and what are they really trying to get out of the piece and a lot of people struggle with self-editing for that reason because it's quite a difficult mind shift uh mindset shift i should say to uh, to make um and the the biggest way to fix that for a lot of people is to kind of separate the writing and editing process so that uh you write 
your first draft of the piece without trying to uh, spend a bunch of time on improving it or improving uh, sentence structure and, and everything like that, and then sit on it for a day, uh, put it in a drawer, save it on your computer, close the tab, uh, come back to it a, a day or two later and, and reread through it uh, from an editorial eye, and, and that makes it a lot easier to spot the, the opportunities for improvement with that. Um, next best option, like you said, is is peer editing. Uh, a lot of the clients that I've worked with uh, send articles through content managers, through uh, subject matter experts, uh, through other people that are involved with the process that can give feedback on on a piece. Uh, it becomes difficult to manage if you still uh, you still need somebody to be ultimately responsible for accepting or rejecting those edits. Uh, it becomes a lot more uh, a lot more difficult when you have a lot of people giving feedback on a piece to to understand kind of which feedback is is relevant um and again those those people also need to put themselves in the mindset of the reader and and understand uh what uh, how they can improve a particular piece based on the what the reader is is understanding and and what their goals are to to get out of the piece um in terms of uh, lower level edits like copy editing or proofreading, uh, like I mentioned before, uh, Grammarly is a, a great option for that. Uh, we prefer writer.com. It, it gives uh, just a, a bunch more options in terms of improving the, uh, the word choice and the structure of your sentences. Um, it also uh, gets rid of a lot of the security concerns that Grammarly has that when you have the Grammarly plugin installed, it sends a lot of your content to their servers for uh processing whereas with writer it processes it all on your computer so that it doesn't uh doesn't have those potential security concerns that uh that grammarly does i think overall uh my advice would be you definitely should consider hiring an editor once you're uh, monetizing your content or once you're using your content to, to drive leads. I, I think having a professional set of eyes on any piece of content that you're publishing uh, with a business goal, uh, whether it's to bring in leads, whether it's to make sales, uh, anything like that is is really valuable. And the, the investment in working with a, a professional editor, uh, even at a, a fairly basic level, even if you're just um, having them kind of look over each piece and, and provide some high-level suggestions uh, is really valuable to, to companies that are uh, driving value from their content. I can share an approach that I used a couple of times when I was just starting out with um, with my first book and the first articles. I'm not native speaker, so I was just basically afraid that I'm committing a crime there with my writing. Um, so I did have, you know, more... I did have an editor for my first book and I did have them for my first couple articles. And then I saw that I'm not really, I'm not really committing a crime there. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and then the rest of the articles, you know, I could just put out myself, uh, you know, more or less they were edible, I guess. And mm-hmm. did the same with the, uh, with the first couple episodes of uh, UI breakfast podcast. Uh, I also had a more expensive, uh, you know, production editor, do the first couple episodes, make sure that it's okay. And then I would use somebody more affordable for, for the rest of them. So you can, you know, mm-hmm. vary, vary levels of uh, pay or proficiency based on what you need and when. Yeah. And, and that's something that we're trying to meet with, with Chatty as well. So we have uh, subscriptions that we offer to clients that want to 
submit as many pieces as they like for editing each month. But we also have on-demand edits where if you have just one blog post or one ebook, for example, that you would like to send through and, and get edited, you can uh, work with a professional editor to, to get that done. Um, but we take away the, the painful parts of finding an editor in the first <laughs> place and uh, vetting them and everything that often people avoid working with editors for, for one-off pieces for, for that reason. Um, but yeah, it, it certainly doesn't have to be a, an all or nothing proposition with, with editing. If, if you have particular pieces that you're depending a lot more on leads, for example, like an ebook or, uh, or a book that, that you wrote, for example, sending those through an editor, uh, to get feedback on those can, can bring a really, uh, strong return, um, and still free you up to, to publish, uh, your more regular content, like a newsletter, for example, without, uh, needing to work with an editor for, for every single piece. What is a good tool stack for editing the actual word processing? Uh, and unfortunately I have not been able to come up with a better alternative to Google Docs for suggested <laughs> edits. Maybe you do have a secret, you know, answer to this problem. Everyone, everyone seems to use something different. I, I think, like you say, 90, uh, probably 90% of our clients use Google Docs. It's just the, the simple and ubiquitous alternative. The, the track changes functionality is, is really good. Uh, the, the multiplayer functionality is really good if you have a couple of different editors or uh, subject matter experts all giving feedback on the piece. It's easy to keep track of who's commenting on on what. Uh, and it's easy to share as well. All you need to do is, is share a send, uh, send a share link to the document and uh, anybody can, can access that. Uh, we do have some clients uh, still using other tools. Um, some clients are using dedicated kind of content management tools. Uh, a couple of clients are using uh, Word documents, which I don't particularly enjoy, but it's difficult to convince people to change their uh, change their processes. Um, I found that uh, alternative tools seem to be a lot more uh, popular in the, the journalism space uh, than in the content marketing space. Um, a lot of uh, journalists and editors uh, have been in the business longer. They might be used to using the tools that they've been using for a lot longer. Um, and uh, it's difficult to convince them to to change their uh, their processes with that. But yeah, there there really isn't a, a secret uh, tool or anything that we use. Um, we try to build our process around fitting into the client's process. So we we have flexibility to work with pretty much any different tool that clients are already working in. So is there another tool that can do suggested edits except for Google Docs? Yeah, most uh, most tools can do it these days. One tool I've used in the past is called uh, Quip, which is a similar document uh, writing tool to Google Documents. Uh, it doesn't have as many features around uh, kind of storing suggested changes, like uh, if you add a sentence, it can't kind of flag that as as a new sentence, but it does give you the ability to, to leave comments on there. Uh, I know a lot of people use Notion. They added uh, commenting functionality uh, a long time ago that was fairly basic, but they've been tweaking it over time to allow you to like comment on particular sentences or particular uh, paragraphs. Commenting um, is not suggested edits, though. Like, it's dramatically different. <laughs> it's, it's not a replacement for it. <laughs> sure. No, I, I agree with that. I, I think 
my approach to editing leans more heavily on comments than other people's might. Um, a lot of people go in and, and just leave kind of suggested changes or uh, deleted sentences or new sentences or anything like that with the, the track changes functionality. When I'm editing, the reason I keep coming back to comments is I, uh, a lot of the time I leave feedback for the writer on why I'm making a particular change uh, or suggestion. I uh, prompts for the writer to dive deeper questions for the writer uh, to uh, kind of give more context or, or explain more about what they were talking about. Um, so I, I tend to lean on comments uh, as an editor a lot more heavily than uh, other editors may. So that's, that's kind of the reason why I keep uh, harping on the, the commenting functionality being more important than the, uh, the track changes. You, you can always highlight text in green or highlight text in red and, and kind of manage, uh, manage track changes manually, but the, the commenting functionality and, and being able to leave feedback on the document to me is, is more important as an editor. I'm curious, an editing process is kind of back and forth, but Sometimes it's a one-way street, so it's it's like a you know, the editor offers a change. You may or may not accept that. Then you do something to the article, and the feedback never really bubbles back up. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but the editor could be learning about about this um, with your editors and just overall. Do you recommend this back and forth more than uh, just a, a waterfall approach? Yeah, absolutely. I I think uh, the best editors act as more kind of coaches or uh, guides their writers, and and the best editors tend to edit the the writer more so than the writing. From from what I found, and and what I mean by that is they uh, they're not just looking out for ways to improve this particular piece, but they're also looking out for kind of common habits, uh, negative writing habits that the writer has, ideas that they could roll into a future piece or uh, suggestions for things to watch out for with with future pieces. Um, and uh, a lot of times when I speak to writers about edits, they, uh, they get fairly intimidated seeing just a ton of comments or a ton of suggested changes on a, a Google Doc and, and thinking they need to just go in and, and click accept, accept, accept on all of them. Them. But my benchmark as an editor is if you're not uh, rejecting kind of maybe 10 to 20% of the, the suggestions that I'm making, then I'm I'm not doing my job properly. Um, editors are, are human too. We, we do our best, but occasionally we still make bad calls. And our job is to, to help the writer communicate their story as best we can, but at the same time, we're, we're not the writers, so we can't uh, understand kind of everything that's going on in their head. And we're also not the, the reader. We also don't have a, a perfect understanding of, of where they're coming from or, or what they need to get out of a, a piece. Um, so, yeah, I, I definitely encourage writers to push back on uh, changes and suggestions that we're making in, in the documents uh, to uh, respond with questions if, if they have questions about a particular edit or if they disagree with a, a particular edit um, and, and really make it more of a, a back and forth process, like you say, rather than just a, a one-way street. You mentioned uh, negative writing habits. Uh, what is your personal top five list of negative writing habits that you see in other writers? <laughs> top, top five list, I, I would have to 
think of this off the top of my head, but uh, a lot of the time I see uh, repeated words or repeated phrases in the same paragraph or, or the same section of the document. It's like called it. SEO, you know. <laughs> no, just kidding. <laughs> keywords, keywords. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, repeated phrases, like if a, a writer uh, has a habit of using phrases, um, I think a lot of people call them weasel words where they uh, use uh, jargon or, or language that there's a simpler way to say something or if there's um, if they just don't even spot that they use the same word three times in a paragraph and it's a lot easier for an editor with a, a fresh set of eyes to, to spot those kinds of things. Um, I see a lot of writers uh, assume that the reader has knowledge that they have, but the reader may not necessarily have. So if they're defining a, a term, for example, in SAS, like if they're defining lifetime value, for example, uh, they may just talk about lifetime value as if the reader already knows what it is, but they, they wouldn't take the time to kind of explain uh the definition, but also more importantly, why it matters in the, the context of the piece. So if you're talking about uh, how lifetime value relates to marketing spend or something, for example, you can you can really make that uh, connection between those ideas clear. Um, and a lot of writers, I find, tend to uh, un uh, assume that the reader has an understanding of the topic because they have an understanding of the topic and, and not realizing that they may need to explain some of those topics to the the readers. Um, a lot of uh, writers that I see uh, struggle to uh, bring a piece back to the core argument as well. That's part of why I was harping on spending so much time up front, making sure that your idea for the piece is, is clear before you start. Um, if with, with every uh, paragraph, every subsection, every uh, argument that you're making, uh, you really need to make sure that it's coming back to the, the core uh, idea or core thesis behind a piece and, and building towards that central argument. And, and that's really what makes a piece feel cohesive. But when you're in the weeds with, with writing, it's very easy to uh, forget that and, uh, it makes a piece kind of end up feeling disjointed and, and difficult to follow. Um, so those are, those are some of the habits that I see with, with writers fairly frequently. Um, obviously it depends a lot on the, the writer. Um, that's one of the, the benefits of building a long-term relationship with an editor is they can really get to know your writing style. They can really get to know kind of your foibles with, with writing and, and really help kind of coach you and, and guide you towards uh, improving not just the, the piece in question, but uh, improving your skills as a writer as well. I love this uh, idea of writing like a promo paragraph, like a single sentence uh, gist like of the story. Yeah, the thesis. Yeah. Um, there are some similar um, methods for product development when you you decide to build a feature and you write a press release for that feature or the sales page for this feature first. Before building the feature itself. And then you build it so that you don't drift away from, from the core benefits and the value it brings and stuff. And this sounds kind of similar. You make it like interesting and attractive first, like a little bit like a hook. Uh, mm, not a hook, maybe. But yeah, this is great. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I think, I mean, thinking back to my product management days as well, like that, that would be more of an epic where you're writing a, a high level requirement or, or a high level goal for a feature or a product or whatever it is that you're building. And then you break that down into to user stories to reach the user's end goal. And, and I see that more as kind of the subsections in an article or the, 
the individual paragraphs in an article in, in some cases that are kind of miniature uh, miniature arguments or, or miniature features in and of themselves that all, all build towards the whole. And, and when you're designing a product or, or building out the specs for a product, you always want to make sure that uh, all of those user stories are building towards that, uh, that core functionality or that core feature. Whereas with writing, you want to make sure all of the, the sections and, and arguments that you're making are all building towards that kind of core thesis statement. There is one problem with the technical content in particular, that the most precious content is usually also super boring, super niche. <laughs> and like it can be possibly interested, interesting for like 10 people out of the whole internet. It will be super interesting for them, but probably not even readable for the rest of the world. Do you mm -hmm. have any ideas on just fighting that problem? Because some of our most exciting articles just lie there in the bottom of the blog, not really popular. And, you know, this uh, way of polarizing the audience with some topics and just, just bring it to the whole level while really important content just leaves abandoned. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and technical content, like you say, is difficult because the reader and or the editor may not have the same understanding that that you have of the topic. If, if you're creating a product, for example, you're uh, knee deep in that product every day, you understand all of the, uh, the difficulties and the pain points that customers have, but customers only have their perspective on a, a particular topic. And so they may not have that same level of understanding. Um, and so from, from an editorial perspective, there's a, a couple of different ways you can go about it. Uh, the best way that I've found is to, uh, supplement uh, the editing process with a subject matter expert uh, to have somebody that really understands the topic uh, can go through and uh, make sure that all of your suggestions are in order, all of your uh, kind of steps in how you're recommending readers solve a problem are correct. If, if they have knowledge of the, the product and how it works, they can make sure that uh, the, the recommended steps actually work with the, the product that you're recommending um, and treat that as a, a separate part of the editing process to uh, editing the actual content and, and the story itself. And, and it's something that in the journalism world, they take a similar approach with fact-checking. They have a, a second set of eyes go through and make sure that all the, the details in a piece are, are correct. Um, it does take a little bit more time and it does mean that you have to have a subject matter expert uh, on board that can uh, is willing to do that. A lot of the time they're very busy and, and not willing to go through and, and read your piece. But uh, that's the best method I found for uh, finding kind of technical issues within a piece. Um, the other way to make your technical piece is a little bit more interesting is to take a stance or, or share an opinion about uh, the topic that you're writing about. So a lot of the time, uh, if you're writing a how-to piece, for example, you might explain kind of how to achieve a certain goal with your product or uh, how to solve a particular problem. But if you can supplement that with uh, an opinion or an argument, uh, maybe something that goes a little bit against the grain uh, in your kind of introduction and say, this is, this is a problem but it doesn't have to be a problem and, and this is how you can solve it rather than just saying this is how you can do this. Uh, that can make a piece much more engaging uh, for readers while still getting the, the same kind of value out of it. You can also supplement pieces with 
opinions and quotes from those same subject matter experts that are editing it uh, a lot of the time with writers that I've worked with that are writing about technical topics. We, we recommend that they interview a, a subject matter expert at least to, to improve their understanding of the topic. Um, but if you can include uh, quotes in there from that expert, uh, that helps with social proof and it also helps to make the piece uh, a little bit more engaging to, to readers as well. This is great advice. I particularly love the um, idea of adding an opinion to something that's it's more flat, you know. <laughs> yeah, and and it's a difficult mindset shift to make for for uh, technical writers, especially because they're uh, coming from an engineering background. Myself, it's it's easy to get stuck in that mindset of of let's just solve this problem in the most efficient way possible, which is literally just to write a KB article and, and share the steps on on something. Um, but one approach that uh, you can take uh, with that is to write a KB article with the actual steps and then write an article, uh, a blog post, for example, separately that shares an opinion or uh, shares the bigger picture or includes some quotes from experts or, or case studies from customers uh, on the same topic and then either link to the KB article for the actual process steps or uh, copy a summary of those steps into the actual article. Um, that way you kind of get a, a, a two for one uh, extra bang for your buck with the uh, the piece that you can rank for both those keywords and you can also share uh, a really specific set of instructions for people that just want to dive straight into that. It's always a challenge to figure out what should live where because for each new thing, for each informational um event you have a sales page for the feature you mm -hmm. have a kb article or a whole section of your kb if it's a big feature set and you also want would not want to write a special like editorial piece on this and what do you even share on your launch you know mm -hmm. <laughs> it's it's always a challenge for SaaS people because there are multiple pages real, related to the same thing yep yep and that's where the the value of having an editor uh, or like a managing editor type role or a content manager uh, be associated with a project fairly early on can be really beneficial because they can see those paths and, and come at the same problem from an audience's perspective and, and understand like what are they going to want to know about a particular topic and, and that can help guide your strategy around what kinds of content you create for, for a particular feature, whether it's just a KB article or a KB article and a blog post or a landing page or... Uh, a newsletter or whatever it ends up being. I love your advice today, but we need to wrap up today's episode. Could you give us the last one do and one don't for our listeners who want to be better at editing? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think my do and don't probably come under the same umbrella in a, a lot of different ways. But my my biggest advice for editors looking to improve if they're editing somebody else's work or editing their own uh, is to really take your time to kind of understand uh, the writer's perspective on, on the piece that you're writing. Um, editing is difficult uh, because writing is emotional. Uh, a lot of writers get very attached to their work. Um, and when you leave a comment or a suggestion or an idea on that work, there's there's no guarantee that they receive that advice in the same spirit that it was given. Um, a lot of it is situational as well, where uh, 
the context surrounding the piece can mean the difference between writers taking criticism uh, in a non-personal way and, and writers feeling attacked, for example. Lesson learned, I guess, great editing isn't always just about giving more feedback. It's about giving uh, feedback in the right way. And my, my biggest do for that would be uh, always keep in mind the uh, – the mindset and, and the situation surrounding the, the feedback that you're giving. And my biggest don't would be uh, don't uh, attack the writer. Don't uh, give feedback that is uh, criticism of their own writing skills or anything like that. Uh, always try to keep the uh, any feedback that you're giving centered around the, the piece itself and, and the writing itself. And, and don't just say like, this is a bad idea or, or anything like that. Really, that that's what makes the difference between a good editor and, and a great editor, in my opinion. I also love to see positive comments from time to time, not just uh, criticism. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. I, I have a, a series of emojis that I use in edits with to give positive feedback on on pieces. I think I had a tweet about it a, a month or two back. But yeah, I, I always look for a positive, at least one positive thing to call out with with every edit that I uh, that I do. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Karen, for sharing your wisdom. Absolutely. Where can people find uh, you and your work and your service online? Sure. So you can find uh, us at chatty.so. I also share details on our business growth on Twitter. If you follow along with our, uh, our threads there, uh, we have details on working with us either for uh, editing subscription plans or for uh, on-demand edits on there. And yeah, if, if you want to say hi to me, I, I'm on Twitter fairly regularly. I think I'm Kieran underscore Ty on Twitter. So feel free to say hi. If you have questions about Chatty, feel free to reach out. And I love sharing uh, more about editing and, and more about what we're doing with Chatty. Amazing. Well, thanks so much once again and have a wonderful rest of your week. Absolutely. You too, Jane. Thanks for listening. If you found the episode useful, please spread the word about this new show on Twitter, mentioning UserList, or leave us a review on iTunes.